Welcome back to Out on a Tangent. I am Becca and I'm here with Miss Kathy today. Hello, everybody. It's New Year. Finally got someone back on the podcast with me, but we're going to jump into some fun stuff. Yeah. Yes. So we're going to talk dystopian novels, specifically like young adult dystopian novels mainly. But I can't wait to humiliate myself. <laughs> I did make a quiz and I warned her about it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So to explain what a dystopia is, it's from ancient Greek, and I'm probably going to butcher this. It, it's spelled D-U-S, but I think you pronounce it dis, meaning bad and topos meaning place. So bad place. <laughs> Which makes oh, perfect yep, sense. That's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Um, sometimes they're also called a cacotopia or an anti-utopia. Because dystopia is considered to be, like, the opposite of a utopia, but many dystopias have, like, utopian elements in them, which I found interesting because I never really thought about that until yeah I was reading about it. I'm like, oh, no, you're right. Um, they usually have elements of fear, tyrannical governments, environmental disasters, or some form of cataclysmic decline of society. There is control of society through use of propaganda, Censorship of information, upholding an unattainable goal, loss of individuality, and heavy conformity. Uh, dystopian fiction has some overlaps with post-apocalyptic fiction, but they are actually distinct things. So, yeah. And they've been around for a long time. They started kind of taking off in the 19th century and then really took off in the 20th. Okay. Um... And that's when a lot of the more well-known ones like 1984, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451, Lord of the Flies, Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Those were all then. And then the 90s is when we started getting uh, young adult dystopian novels, really. And that started with The Giver. Okay. Um, yeah. 2000s was when we had a huge boom, especially after The Hunger Games. Yeah. Yeah. That and, really, like, kicked off the golden age of dystopian yes. fiction. Um, after that, publishers were basically flooding the market <laughs> with uh, dystopias, trying to match the success of the Hunger Games. Hence, why we have so many like trilogies and whatnot. And one thing I like about dystopias is the world building. I think that is one thing you can say about these types of books is that they have some incredible world building in them. Yeah, and. There are, especially because some of the later ones tend to fall flat because they're trying too hard to be like the Hunger Games. So they fall flat in their world building. And I think that's why it's one of the reasons that it's starting to kind of. Yeah, it's back on the decline. Exactly. So do you have a favorite dystopia or something um, like that? Well, so as you were as you were reading like the qualities of a dystopia, I was comparing it mentally to my favorite author. She's a fan fiction author on AO3 mm -hmm. and her writing name is Dark Tidings and she does a lot of these um, like Walking Dead fan fiction Ooh, alternate universes. Yeah. But they're, they are post-apocalyptic but not dystopia yeah. because they don't meet some of the criteria like you were talking about like loss of individuality mm -hmm. and, and so I was sort of comparing because she has, like, her own tab on my phone at all times. Yeah. <laughs> and she's amazing. And everything she writes, I just eat up. Yeah. Like, 
so, so I think it's interesting because I wouldn't, I think the, the worlds she builds are post-apocalyptic, but they're more of a utopia than a dystopia yeah. because it's like rebuilding better and like, yes. so that's the first place my mind went. <laughs> Up in the teen collection, we have a book called H2O. And there's a sequel about this. Yes. Where there is an environmental disaster where all of like the rain is like acidic or has a parasite in it, whatever, whatever, that um, it's not safe to drink. And like if if a drop of rain touches your skin, it'll like burn your skin through and then you die. Yeah. It's like you're the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. It's extreme. It's a little (laughs) underdeveloped, but... I got so sucked in to this reading experience <laughs> that I, I got really paranoid about, like, where my drinking water was coming from. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I do like that when when there is really good world building like that, it, like, really makes you. you question your own reality. Yes. So I like that part. <laughs> um, it's no, like, question for me. The Giver is one of my favorite books of all time. Like, I read it for the first time, I think, in, like, fifth grade. And I don't know, something about that book just really hit me hard. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just the fact that it's talking about memory and how important those memories are to hold on to, to help shape us. So I think the aspect of history and the fact that the other Lois Lowry book I had read at that point was Number the Stars. Mm. So... I'm wondering if that was why it hit so hard because I had read those two books near to yeah. each other. But that book, and then I found out that it's a series. Like there's more to that world and it's kind of fits more into like a fantasy era. Okay. As you go on later, like just because these people have abilities. But it's still in that dystopian like narrative and it's still really interesting. Like, how each of the books has kind of a society that they're working within, but they're still different. Like, The the Giver was more, like, science and technological-based. Okay. Whereas later on, one of them, it's, it's a village. They're trying to survive in the wilderness, and yet mm. they're still controlling things. Like, there's still that huh. Big Brother-esque kind of thing going on. Okay. So it's really cool. I loved him. But yeah, um, one thing I was thinking about, and I thought about this this morning, um, you think about like the big adult dystopian novels, and then you think about like the young adult ones. One thing I've noticed in the young adult ones, those ones have more of like an attainable goal. Like there is a hope we can fix, we can mend, we can do whatever. Whereas in the adult ones, it isn't really there. There might be like the slightest little bit, but you never really see necessarily them attain those whereas in like the young adult ones there is and I found that to be interesting (laughs) like I don't know if it's just the mindset of a teenager being hopeful and promise and trying to attain goals or whatnot and adults maybe we're a little too jaded so we can't I don't know but I I thought that was interesting it could be something that comes from the publishers of like oh yeah like like publishers have an impression that teens like want that need 
something uplifting, which I don't think is true. Yeah. Um, I think it's so much more subjective than that. But I, I do see, because like in middle grade, because publishers are saying like, this is for children. So it's always, there's, there's always going ending. to be like some hope at the end. Yes. You know, very, very, very rarely would something meant for children end really bleak. Yes. You know? <laughs> so I, I wonder if it's this, like, carryover. Yeah, because, I mean, like, if you think about, like, what we consider to be classic literature, so saying bad, like, something bad happens, I immediately went to Watership Down. Um, <laughs> I've never finished that book, but I know what happens. But just that part that got to me. But, um... The fact that, like, classic literature tends to be darker, tends to have those hard-hitting things, whereas as we start getting into more modern era, we tend to have that more hopeful, we need a happy ending, we need resolution kind of thing. It, it, we don't get hmm. to see a lot of that dark anymore. Or at least not as in your face, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. That's something to chew on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Yeah. I'm I'm now just stuck in this like analysis of all types of classic literature and Oh, maybe like, we can do a podcast and, on that. <laughs> yeah, and by era, is there like a tie on whether whether that we were on the upswing of positivity or on the downswing of something bleaker? Yeah. Like by time, like what's going on? Something like like Shakespeare, yeah, is like very easy to categorize into happy endings and non-happy endings, exactly. Um, and histories, which yeah, are always just ridiculous. <laughs> but then, like Jane Austen, is like an upswing of like everything works out. Yes, you know, but at the same time, there's like Charlotte brought like J- Jane Eyre, where where things do not end well. <sighs> You know, like I have a love hate relationship with that book. (laughs) So I just that's yeah, I got caught in my head. And then you like bring in other things like, okay, Dracula, Frankenstein, things like that that are similar era, very different feel. Yes. (laughs) And it's just it's interesting that we can definitely delve into that Hmm. on a different day. That that sounds like fun. I'll put that on the back burner. (laughs) If you want more of that or you have questions, please put them in the box and teen. I'm I'm so excited to get your questions. All right, so I have a quiz for you. And we have ten questions about different young adult dystopian novels. All right, so this 1993 book appears to be set in a utopian society, but as the story progresses, it is revealed to be dystopian in nature. Society has removed almost all emotions, the world lacks color, the environment is controlled, and everyone is made to be the same. Protagonist is a 12-year-old boy who has a unique position where he receives memories of the world before the sameness happened. He is overcome by these memories and begins to see society in a whole new light. The Giver. Yeah. I had to start with my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I love, love this book. Like, I purposely went out and bought it because I was like, I need this in my life. I need to yes. have it. And the movie, while different, was not bad. Okay. Especially once I found out that um, the author was very involved with it and changed. I can't remember the actual name of the character, but they're like the the mayor type yeah. character. Changed it for a reason because at the time she didn't think she could get away with writing that character like that. 
So these are things that she had had on the back burner and wanted to add. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't agree with it. I at least understand. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is still canonical. It's just, like, a slightly different canon. Exactly. Exactly. So, but Jeff Bridges as the giver was interesting. Not my first choice, but I do love Jeff Bridges. So I was like, okay. All right. This novel takes place in post-apocalyptic North America, where the country is divided into districts, and children from those districts are forced to fight for their lives in a brutal Survivor-esque game for everyone to watch. Hunger Games. Hunger Games. I actually really enjoyed those. They were really fun. Well, not fun, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I did not ever read them. Really? Mm-hmm. Did you watch the movies? Nope. Oh. No, because <laughs> I'm a hipster, so once things become popular, I have no interest in them. Um, <laughs> I do that with some things, too. And and they, it, they just came out... Um, like, in just the wrong time for me to be pleasure reading. Because yeah. it was, like, end of high school, early college. Yep. Where I was reading so much for school that I... Yeah, I just... Wasn't. Really didn't want to pick up a book. I was reading voraciously of fan fiction. Yeah. But that is... Different. Easier to put up, at, like, pick up and put down yeah. than a book. No, so. I totally get that. I think I ended up reading it because uh, I was hanging out with some of the kids from Karate... I was in college at the time, but um, some of the kids that I was hanging out with, <laughs> helping them with their homework while I was waiting for my class, um, were reading it. So I was like, all right, I'll pick it up. I'll take a look. And I remember my husband reading the first one and he's like, I can't do this series. There's a triangle and they're children and they're just, God, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> he was so angry. <laughs> he's like, stupid teenagers. And I'm like, that became the line for the entire series for me. It was like, stupid teenagers! <laughs> I, yeah, I... I get frustrated by love triangles yes. when they don't feel organic. Yes, especially that one. Like, that one was really... almost forced. Yeah, it it felt more like a plot point yes. than something that's character-driven. And... Because there's only, what, like, seven stories ever. Yeah. You know, they're all just reiterations of seven plots. Like, it's... You're never going to have a truly unique plot, so your characters need to feel really authentic. Yeah. Like, I'm still happy with how things ended up. It's just, it was... Yeah. It did not work for me. All right. This takes place in post-apocalyptic Chicago, where everyone is sorted into two factions. The main character has been sorted into three, making her different. She chooses one and trains to be an initiate of the warrior faction. I have never read this series. I've watched is the movie. This Divergent. Yes, it is. Okay. Which I watched the movie and I'm like, do I like this enough to go read the book? No. <laughs> <laughs> I get why some people like it. It's a very interesting, like, especially if you like Hunger Games and you like that. I guess Harry Potter-esque sorting type yeah. thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it like turned me off a little bit. It like distilled like some of the most popular elements of the existing most popular yep. YA things and like combined them. Yeah, and a lot of uh like book reviewers and publishers were like thinking that that was kind of like the peak but also the downfall. Yeah. Like once that came out, that was where things started to go down. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, this 2009 novel is set in a world where the populace is trying to fight an illness called the flare. A 16-year-old boy wakes up in a maze with no memory surrounded by other boys his age. They are constantly trying to survive and solve the maze. Maze Runner. Yeah, I've never actually read this one. I'm like, how? How did I miss this one? Like, I knew of its existence and yet never looked into this one. So I'm like, okay, that one might get put on my list yeah. to read. Because it just the maze idea and it's very, like, Lord of the Flies kind of, which I will talk about my issue with Lord of the Flies in a minute. Um. <laughs> Another dystopian kind of sort of novel it's in our teen collection under suspense not sci-fi uh where most of most dystopias end up on sci-fi because yeah. sci-fi i don't know is the catch-all for dystopia for I whatever think a reason lot of it, since it has to do with technology yeah. especially i think that's why so there's like this sort of general rule that dystopia is going to go into sci-fi yeah but we have it's a duology um Murder trending and then murder funding. And I, I saw those. And murder trending is we've I talked about it on previous podcast episodes. It's they're both really good, but it's um imprisonment for sport. And so they take like these young, attractive teenagers and they put them on Alcatraz 2.0 and they live stream their lives in this prison with state-funded serial killers trying to off them in these very dramatic ways. But there is a maze scenario where all of these serial killers are, like, setting up booby traps in a maze for our protagonist. Oh my god, I need to put this on my reading list. Yeah, highly recommend. It's oh, Hold on, I'm writing this down. <laughs> it has, um, like, vibes of dystopia. Yeah, no, that's... In a... the world building, but not necessarily dystopian, like, plot points. Yeah, it's giving me Battle Royale, which yeah, is kind of what Hunger Games is based off of. And yeah. I'm like, that's... Really good. That sounds fun. Oh. And it's very, very funny because the, the state-funded serial killers are super campy. They all have, like, <gasps> gimmicks. So it's like Batman Rogues Gallery. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm going to read this. This, this. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Okay. Number five, we have 300 years in the future, the government has people undergo special cosmetic surgeries at the age of 16 to become, quote, pretty. Tally has been asked to find some runaways and finds a hidden camp of them where she learns that the operations are not just physical, but that they alter one's mind to make them placid. Is this, um, I don't remember what the series name is, Ugly's West yes. Westerfield? Is that yep. Westerfeld? Is I that the last think author? so, but, um, Scott Westerfeld, I think. Yes. Eh. It is Ugly, so, yes. Okay. <laughs> Which I was like... I can, like, picture the covers. It makes me think of that, um... Twilight Zone episode where like you have this really beautiful pretty girl like and there's all these like doctors and stuff and it's the ones with like the weird faces where they almost look like a weird dog but like their face is melty or mm. something that episode that's exactly what this made me think of and it's like someone took that and went further and that's that's just cool because I, I love Twilight Zone <laughs> it scared the crap out of me as a kid yeah <laughs> Those were some of the best times when, when Sci-Fi Channel would have a marathon. Mm -hmm. oh, Sci-Fi Channel, what happened to you? Aside from Sharknado. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This novel is essentially like The Bachelorette, but set in a caste system-driven future. A prince is going to marry, but to do that, he is holding a competition to select them. I've actually read this one. I 
accidentally read this one. <laughs> huh. I feel like I'm going, I'm going to go, oh, when you tell me what it is. But I am not getting anything from that description. The selection. Okay. Yeah. I came across this back when I had um, the app called Scribd. Um, just because I was strolling through and I'm like, oh, sure, fine. This looks interesting. And it really was. It was like the Bachelorette, but in a very like futuristic cast system and there were people attacking the castle in the middle of them like broadcasting this everywhere and it's like <laughs> okay that's is so interesting <laughs> i've only read the first one but there's apparently like several and then there's um one from like a viewpoint of the prince as well which is interesting okay yeah so if you like want more of a hmm. romancy kind of dystopia yeah that's an interesting combination yeah it, it felt like it was light, more lighthearted, but there was still some serious stuff going on. So if you want one a little less depressy, go with that. Okay. <laughs> All right. This is one that I need to read. I've been told I need to read this series. This is a retold fairy tale set in a dystopian future where androids and cyborgs are part of everyday life. The main character is a cyborg. This novel takes place mainly on Earth, but also features a country on the moon. Yeah, this is Cinder. Yeah. I'm like, how have I missed this series? <laughs> Yeah, I have only read the first one, but the imagery, like, right off the bat is very strong. Yeah, it sounds... From what I was reading, like, just as descriptions and stuff, it was making me think of um, Alita Battle Angel, which the manga for that is really cool, but I also the... Um, was it Guillermo del Toro that did the movie? I don't remember who did the movie. Um, but the fact that there was the ones that were on Earth in, like, the lower area, and then you had, like, the upper city, it kind of kept giving me vibes of that. Like, this is, like, the low trash, and then this is the upper echelon. So that was kind of giving me the yeah. vibes of the moon and the Earth, that kind of thing. But it seemed like the Earth was more its own country. So, like, we're in yeah. countries instead. Yeah. But it just, it gave me that kind of vibe, and I was like, all right, I like that. That sounds cool. Like, I don't know how I missed this, because I love fairy tale retellings. Yeah. Ben, who used to work here, loved this series. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. That, that needs to go on my list, too. <laughs> all right. Parasitic aliens are invading people's bodies and erasing the original owners. One girl has an alien placed in her body, but she is still in the body and is able to talk to the alien. They are trying to get through life together in a community of humans that are not invaded. This is another one that's going to be so obvious. I have not read this. I have read the author's other books. The Host. Okay. Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> okay. Which I was like... I read all of Twilight. Do I really want to read this one? I never got around to it. My brother read it, which I was surprised. <laughs> I think he was more intrigued because he's like, all right, I heard about Twilight. I like sci-fi. This is sci-fi. Yeah. So he read it and I think he watched the movie too. And he was like, meh. <laughs> but I like the idea of it. And it seems yeah. like that would be a really good TV show plot. Not necessarily like a movie. You know? Yeah. Like, it gives me Roswell vibes, but not 
wait. Hmm. It it makes me wonder how the writing differs yeah. from Twilight because the writing style of Twilight I cannot see no. working. No. For something that is more serious? Yeah, like more intense, more character driven. Yeah. Because the the characters in Twilight are not written great. No. Um and I understand that Bella is is written blandly, like by design, so that she can be projected upon by the reader. Yeah. But but every character in in Twilight is more interesting than Bella, and we get like nothing. Yeah. So, whereas this main character does seem interesting, and the fact that the two of them are in one yeah. body. Yeah, I think yeah. it would be so interesting to like compare. Yeah, read. Twilight, like the first book and the first book of of the host, yeah, and like compare the writing styles and the characters. Especially because she wrote that after, like all of Twilight. Right? Yeah, she may. Because that is one thing I did notice. I was like, okay, Twilight got the writing got better as we went. I still don't like it, but the writing got better <laughs> as it went. That's about all I can say. Yeah, I. I love the world of Twilight. I do not love yes. any of the canon material of Twilight. Yes. I am more interested in the, like, city of vampires. Volterra. Yes, thank you. Uh, than anything else there. But I think that's because I live in Anne Rice's world of vampires. And that is just everywhere. <laughs> and so rich and deep. So... When you have an ancient city of vampires, like I'm more interested in that than yeah them yeah, playing baseball in the rain. <laughs> I am a I'm like a suspense reader yeah. mostly. So like Peter and Shar, who are vampires who feed on humans who are doing bad things. Yes, it's kind of this like Dexter take on being a vampire. Like that is so much more interesting yeah, to me than that's how vampires of, going to high school. Um. And Rice's are, too, yeah. like, because a lot of them just come to this moral code of, no, 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 I'm not just going to kill anybody. I'm going after the bads. Yeah. Like, I don't want to. Which is interesting, when, especially when you are reading one of the novels, and it starts with, like, their beginning, and it's usually, like, ancient times, and then they end up to the modern, and they've progressed in such a way that they're not killing at random anymore, which is just in just one book. Yeah. That you're getting that much change is interesting, and I love it. I'm, I'm a big Anne Rice nut. <laughs> big Anne Rice nut. She was also very, very sweet. I got to meet her. Ooh. It was very cute. She, I had, <laughs> here's a tangent for you. Um, so have been on a tangent. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> so she was in Boston, and this was when my daughter was about one or two, I want to say. Um... And I think her new book had come out, and I was like, I have a chance to go and meet her and have her sign it and everything. So I packed up my kid. We went to Boston. We did that. She was so sweet meeting my daughter and everything. It was just, you know, I keep telling her that you got to meet Anne Rice. And she's like, I don't know who that is. And I'm like, <laughs> Mom, child, if I you don't know. ever end up reading. 
She's not allowed on my bookshelf yet. I separated yeah. out all my like kid appropriate novels yeah. from my other stuff. I'm like, when you're ready for Anne Rice. Boy, howdy. Eventually. I have the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which I blame one of my uh, sister's Navy buddies for getting me started on that. I was okay. like sixth, seventh grade, and he got me the first book for my birthday. <laughs> and then that started downhill. <laughs> Life with older siblings is wild. I know. Well, it doesn't help that my brother, who is younger than that sister, um, was watching Interview with a Vampire, and I think I was seven years old. And Louis, which is Brad Pitt, but Louis, I just, I lashed onto that character, which now, Louis is whiny, and I don't like Louis. I would prefer Lestat. But, <laughs> once you read the rest of the series, yeah. you understand why Lestat is, why he is the Brad yeah. Prince. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I I can talk about vampires all the time. I love, <laughs> I love them. My eighth grade English teacher. So they, the entire like eighth grade teachers got every kid in my grade a book at the end of the year. She found me a vampire encyclopedia. Oh, so good. I still have it. It has a place of pride on my bookshelf. Um, usually if a teacher got me a book, I keep it. Yeah. But that one has this place of pride, and it's just like, you listen to me so much that you found this? This is amazing. <laughs> like, I, I love it when teachers do that. It just makes me yeah. warm fuzzies. All right, we have two more. Okay. Back on track. Yes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A post-apocalyptic underground city that was meant to last for 200 years has lived past that date and in danger of collapse. A box with a timed lock was given to the first mayor with instructions on how to return to the surface, which one mayor lost. The protagonist finds the box and attempts to leave with her sister and best friend. Hmm. I have never read this. Apparently there's a movie. They didn't know much about the movie either. Okay. It sounds good. Yes. But I don't know if it is or not. Like I don't, I don't know what book this is, I don't but that summary did well. sounds good. Hooray for me writing good summaries. Um, the City of Ember. Okay. Yeah. Which. Yeah, okay. I, I do I like vaguely the, remember there being a movie of that. I like the idea of this. And I think part of it is because I recently watched someone play uh, the game Stray, where you play as a cat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which I highly recommend. That game is really cool. Um, I think we have it. Upstairs, possibly is for PlayStation Five. Just so you know, um, but I like the idea of I like the trope of underground cities and trying to figure out how to yeah. get back out. I think that's why I also like Tank Girl. Um. <laughs> yeah, and like civilization on the brink of collapse. Yes, is and again that hope. There, there's hope. Yeah. I love that. I think that's why I also like um, Nausicaa in the Valley of the Winds. Just yeah. Go read the mangas of those, please. Like, the movie does... The movie's amazing. It's Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli. Like, they can do no wrong. I love them. But the manga is so much more, and Miyazaki wrote it, and it's just... Ah! Yeah. Like, I wish that they had done the whole thing, and I don't think we'll ever get it. <sighs> mm. but yeah. It's always the risk when you're... 
moving something from yeah. books to film. But it was so good and it's so pretty and ah. <laughs> I, I love I love Ghibli. I mean I have I have my Totoro and I have my Calciper buttons right now. Yeah. Alright, last one. That's one. Also one of my favorites. Uh, this 1985 military science fiction novel features a young boy who is a military prodigy. He's brought to battle school where he quickly moves to the top of the ranks in simulation games. He moves up to command school and continues what he thinks are simulations, but finds out that it was not a game, but real, and he helped commit mass genocide of an alien race. Ender's Game. Yes. Another one that ends with, like, it's bittersweet, but also some hope in the yes. first book. I didn't read the rest of the series, to be, I to be fair. I have a couple of them, and I was reading, like, the plot of those, and that thing goes places. Um, but Yeah, that's what I've heard. I always, I also think the... The side characters, like the siblings that are set up in the first yes. book, and then they become yes, so more direct characters in the... One book that I believe the brother is a main protagonist, and I can't remember if the sister has her own book or if she's just featured heavily in another book. Yeah, I can't remember, uh, yeah. but it's like they're introduced, and then they yeah. become these like co-protagonists, kind of. It's And they also are these very interesting yes. characters. It From what I was reading, the, the plot of this, it kept giving me, like, Star Wars vibes in the way that, you know how, like, Luke and Leia are supposed to bring balance to the Force, that yeah. kind of thing. So the fact that you have these two, that instead of, like, Luke and Leia, where they're both technically on the same side, is one is more dark, one is more light, and then you have Ender, who's kind of bridging the two, yeah. which is interesting. But he's also kind of on the side of the aliens as well. Yeah. So it was interesting for that. Yeah, and he's interesting because he... Ends up kind of flipping. Yes. Like. Especially because he can see both sides. So yeah, like, like the more he learns, the more his worldview evolves. Yes. It feels very organic. Yes. None of this conversation is an endorsement of the author's views and opinions. No, no. No. <laughs> Just like any time we talk about Harry Potter. It's about yeah. the world, not, not the author. You know. These yeah. are all our opinions, not the library's opinions. Yes. And also... We're talking about the books. We are trying to remove art from artists. Yes. It's not always possible, but... We try. If you're going to read Ender's Game, yeah. you know, the movie take it with a grain of salt. was weird. The movie was very strange. Yeah, I yeah. mean, okay, Harrison Ford, for one thing. <laughs> it was strange to cast him. Yes. Like, looking at it visually, it was fine. But the acting was weird. And I think part of it is that I can't remove him from Han Solo and Indiana Jones very well. You yeah, know? I... The characters he played as a younger man are so iconic that seeing him act as an older person... Yes. ...always feels really strange. Yes. Versus, like, Dick Van Dyke... Who has always played an older guy? Yeah, who like <laughs> as an old man feels like he's exactly the same as he was as a young, yes. as a young man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is, so. that is very true. Versus like Harrison Ford feels like he has like yeah he's become changed a, as he's grown. It, it makes me think of um, the whole Clint Eastwood thing of get off my lawn like. That, I don't remember what movie that was, but yeah, <laughs> it the, makes me think the of that. Ender's Game movie was weird. Like some I of the I casting feel like the was strange. Kids though, were good in it. Like I feel like it wasn't the greatest, 
Yeah. But I, I feel like they did a good job of casting for those roles. Like, I feel like I could believe that ender. I feel um, that, like, the battle scenes, like, when he's yes. got his team in, like, the zero gravity, or, like, the gravity's, like, constantly switching yes. directions, like, that's a lot easier to envision when you're reading it. Yes. Then it, it, I think it didn't translate yes. well to a visual representation because it's so conceptual. I honestly feel like they should have taken a page out of um, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Like, how Kubrick did all his stuff visually. I feel like they relied too heavily on computers, but if they thought about it, how he played with gravity in yeah. that, I think that would have worked better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also was looking up, so like, so I was looking at a whole bunch of lists and um, A Wrinkle in Time kept coming up and I'm like, yeah, that end city definitely feels dystopian. <laughs> and I kept thinking, and that's one of the first images. You say dystopia to me, I think, okay, the giver. But I also think of that city and just the image and the sound of all those, like, balls bouncing on the, yeah. the ground in sync, all the mowers, and it's just, ugh. Yeah. It gives you the willies. Yeah, erasing the individualism. Yes. Yeah. All right, and I, pr I promised I would talk about my issue with Lord of the Flies. So one summer, <laughs> which I have told Kathy this before, uh, I decided I was going to read a bunch of books that pretty much everyone reads, like especially in high school. But for some reason, I never read them in high school. So I read Brave New World. I read Lord of the Flies. I read Animal Farm. I read 1984. One right after the other. Don't do this. Don't <laughs> do this. Read them, but do not read them one after another. That was the summer of depression, as I like to call it. <laughs> they were really cool. But I really needed a huge palate cleanser after. Yeah. Yeah, they're interesting on their own, but one on the other. There's a, It's very bleak. Yes. It was very dark that summer. <laughs> Which I will say, I have read... Every one of those that I mentioned, I finally read A Handmaid's Tale like a year or two ago. I read Fahrenheit 451. That one I read in high school, but not because it got assigned to me. Just a couple of my teachers had random books on their shelves. And I was yeah. like, what's that? <laughs> they had no problem with me taking it. That one. That one hit me hard. Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. That one. Conceptually, very interesting. Yes. Which, I guess there's a movie of that, like... But I've never watched it, and I'm like, do I dare? I have not watched it. Um, Dominic Noble on YouTube has a great Lost in Adaptation Ooh, episode. Okay. For it. I will look that up. Um, if you have read 1984 or watched anything of it, um, and you know of Terry Gilliam, <laughs> uh, Brazil <laughs> is a weird movie. Um, he wanted to call it 1984 and a half originally. But because there had been a movie of 1984 that came out fairly, like, around the time he was working on it, producers and stuff were like, no, we, we can't do that. <laughs> so it got called Brazil, and it features the song Brazil in the movie. It is a very bizarre movie. Okay. But it definitely has that 1984-esque world okay. to it. But with Terry Gilliam. Because <laughs> it, it's kind of... He has an unofficial trilogy, which is uh, Time Bandits, 
Brazil and The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Because they're all kind of like stages of man. Okay. Because um, Time Bandits is more of a kid. Uh, Brazil is like middle age. And then Adventures of Baron Munchausen is uh, elderly. But it's all kind of like a dream sequence, if you think about it. Hmm. All of them heavily feature like how... Almost like a dreaming world in them. Okay. Which is interesting. And I feel like he took that to another step with um, Dr. Parnassus, which is also a really weird movie, (laughs) but very good. (laughs) So, yeah. Okay. Dystopian novels. Yeah. We got lots of things for you to come and read. Crash Course Dystopia. Yeah. I thought we could jump into some more like genre kind of things like this. So that way maybe there's a genre you never thought you might want to try. Yeah. Or you focused so much on a genre, but there was things you hadn't seen yet. Yeah. Well, and like genres and subgenres, because yes. like we talked about a little bit ago, like dystopia is is in our collection, like within this sci-fi. sci-fi. Um but that reminds me of the teen display we have up right now, yes. which is about tropes yes. across genres. So we have um, marked books in the teen area based on tropes that are very, very common, like, across all yep. of the genres as we divide the collection up. Which one of those happens to be dystopian novels or dystopian societies. Yeah. So... Yeah. If you are in a reading slump, I think our teen display that we have up right now could be very helpful. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> Shameless plug. Yes. Um, is there any news or anything we want to... I don't... Uh, to elevator? We could, yeah. So we are recording this on January 19th. On January 29th, 2024, if so if you are, if you are up to date yes. with us. Um, elevator refurbishment and repair is going to start on the 29th. So the only way to get to the lower level will be by using the main stairwell. There will not be elevator service for a few weeks. We're not exactly sure how long. So if you are planning a library visit and think you might need to come downstairs like to use the bathroom or something, just keep an eye on our um, social media because we're going to have some closed days around different parts of the project. So like that first week, the 29th, into the, for, until February, February 2nd, 2nd. Um, the building is going to be closed because... It's going to be um, loud, noisy. Yeah, very chaotic. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we're going to take advantage of that time to do some in-building projects. But other than that, like, just keep an eye on our social media and our website because things might be changing through the month of February. And and bear with us, and we're excited to get it done. Yes, finally. So, yes. <laughs> uh, and I will see you all again in two weeks. And I'll see you at some point. Yes. Bye. Bye.